This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this podcast, we'll consider some thoughts on what constitutes spiritual blindness by looking at the famous story of the man born blind, as recorded in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 9. The text that Bob read to us this morning is one of my favorites. I love it. I, I love the Gospel of John. Whoever wrote this Gospel, and it was written some 60 or 70 years after the death of Jesus, but whoever put this Gospel together was a literary genius. It, it's not just a great book of the Bible. It's a great book, full stop. I mean, this text that Bob read is filled with, with humor and with pathos and with intrigue. I, 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 can you imagine? And, and irony, it's dripping with irony. In this story, all those that claim to see are blind, and the only one that can really see is a blind man. The, the people that believe they're the ones on the inside are really on the outside, and the only one that's really in is the one that gets thrown out. The ones that think they really, really know are the ones that don't know, and the only one that really does know is the guy that says, I don't know. I mean, this is an incredible story. And, and humor, can you imagine the scene? So here's this man, blind from birth, poor guy, he's a beggar, and his friends come and tell him, the, the healer is here and wants to heal you. And the excitement that must have risen in his heart, and, and he comes forward, he's led by his friends, and, and he hears that Jesus is in front of him to be healed. And the next thing he hears is, Now there's nothing wrong with his hearing. His hearing's fine. He's blind. And, and, and what he hears doesn't make sense. And then the next thing is he feels this icky, warm, goo, mud stuff on his eyes. And I can imagine in his heart he's saying, Oh, great. Another round of torment the blind guy. Isn't this fun? And he's told to go wash at the pool of Siloam. And he goes and he washes, and a miracle occurs. He can now see. And what's so amazing is that's where all the trouble begins. Yeah, what I find fascinating is in this story is now that this man can see, nobody recognizes him. Not his family, his, the, the, the Pharisees, the people... Is, is this the guy that used to sit down at the corner with the tin cup uh, wanting help because he was blind? Oh, that's not him. It just looks, they don't even recognize him because what everybody had seen prior to this event was a beggar or a sinner. That, he's that way because he's a sinner. There's him. But the very first verse, if you can remember way back when Bob started to read the text, the very first verse, it's recorded for us, Jesus saw a man who had been blind from birth. Jesus saw a man. Everybody else saw a beggar or a sinner. 
And Jesus saw a man and liberated this man. And, and, and those around couldn't see the man. All they saw was the commodity, the beggar, the sinner. He had been objectified in his village. He was only what others projected on him. They didn't see him. And I'm going to suggest my sisters, my brothers, my siblings, that when we see others as commodities, we're just as blind as these Pharisees. When we see others as commodities to advance our personal agenda or as problems and obstacles that get in the way of our agenda, when we commodify people, we're just as blind as the Pharisees in this story. A little while ago, we sang the song Amazing Grace. I was teasing about it. It's my favorite song. I love that song. And the story of that song, if you don't know, was written by a man named John Newton. Newton was an Englishman whose business was going to Africa and buying people as commodities, people with darker colored skin than he had, and purchasing them and bringing them across the Atlantic to sell over here. They were commodities for his profit. And the story is told that one night in the Atlantic on the deck of his ship, he realized these were not commodities. These were human beings. And what he was doing was really, really wrong. And so he stopped that business. And he moved back to England and worked with a member of parliament, a man named William Wilberforce. And the two of them worked diligently to end the slave trade in the British Empire. And they did. Now, there is a tradition that is told. I don't know that it's accurate or true, but in one of my first preaching classes, they taught us never let the truth get in the way of a good illustration. So I'll share with you. The story is told that, that on the deck of that ship, Newton heard the Africans that he had purchased humming melodies of their native land as they were chained and imprisoned below the decks. And he didn't know the words, but, but he heard the melody coming from their imprisoned souls. A lament. And that that melody was with him the rest of his life. And at some point he put the words to it that we just sang. He was blind, but his eyes were opened and he could see what he was doing and he stopped doing wrong. And our forebearers that are of European descent, when they came to this land, there were people here that had possession of the land 
that were seen as commodities or obstacles for them having the land. And so they made them less than human and, and killed them or drove them away, the indigenous peoples that were here, so that we, our forebears, could profit and have a good life. And I suggest when we treat other human beings as commodities, we are just as blind as the Pharisees in this story that we laughed at. And we do that today in our own culture with the elderly. Oh, they just need to get a move. I remember when I lived in Florida, there were bumper stickers that said, when I get old, I'm going to drive to New York and drive slow. <laughs> and, 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 and people... We say, well, they have dementia, or they have mental illness, or they have addictions. We commodify people. We, we label them with whatever we think they have that's different than us to make our lives better. And I would say that we have done that in our own congregation, in our own history, the, the relational ruptures that have occurred. We have viewed sisters and brothers and siblings as obstacles, as problems. If they would just wake up and if they would just do it the way I want, it would be so much better. I'm right. They're wrong. We have shamed people. We've, we've got, they're sinners. They need to repent. They're wrong. We've made others of them. And we have been just as blind as the Pharisees in this story. As I've reviewed my own life, look, in all honesty, if I look over, past over 70 years. I've been a Christian since I was 19. And the times I am most ashamed of and embarrassed now, as I'm 70, by my behavior, I look back, are times when I was certain I was right. I knew I was right. If they would just behave, if they would just do what I Those are the times I behaved the most unchristian as a Christian in my life. And I thought, what demons certainty can make of us when we're so sure we're right that we can be just as blind as the Pharisees in this story. So, so what is the remedy then for, for this kind of spiritual blindness? Well, I would suggest <clears throat> it's also in this story that's been given to us. As this story unfolds, Jesus says to the man born blind, do you believe, do you trust in the Son of Man? As it's recorded for us. Now, the Son of Man is a very technical term for theologians. Jesus described himself as that in numerous places throughout all, all four Gospels. And quite honestly, theologians struggle and wrestle with what Jesus had in his own mind when he said he was the son of man. It's not clear uh, to everyone what Jesus had in mind. And, and we changed the language here a little bit to be more uh, inclusive with our language, so we'll say human one or child of God, so it's not so patriarchal or male-laden. But the idea is, what was in Jesus' mind? And one of the things I suggest that's part, I suggest what's part of what Jesus might have 
had in mind, is don't look at me and see what you think I am. Look at me and see what I might become. And when we look at each other in our roles and our labels and our compartments that we place people, we're not seeing all that they could become. We're not seeing the child of God that is resident in there that could become given the right soil of love and nurture and affection and appreciation and encouragement that we all long for. That we would begin to see what each other could become is a way to be liberated from the blindness that's attributed to the Pharisees in this story. And I suggest if we can't do that here among ourselves, then we've learned nothing from the relational ruptures we've been through in the last number of years. If we can't stop blaming others or seeing they were the problem, if we can't start to see the potential and the humanity in each other, that we will remain just as blind as the ones in this story. In fact, at the end of the story, the Pharisees ask, what, are we blind too? And I think this Lent, as we get ready for Easter, that might be a good question for us to think about this week. What? Are we blind too?